0: Space fans, and welcome to another episode of the Supercluster Podcast. I'm Jamie Carrero here with my friend and colleague Robin Seamangle and the Assistant Managing Editor of NASA Space Flight, Chris Gebhart. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. How's it going? We're going to be talking about the space news updates for the week. Some cool stuff going on, and
1: also a little bit in the space media and film world. So let's yeah. get started. Sure. And um, I, I know what's on everyone's mind right now. It is the levitation of Astra's rocket.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> when your upward
1: thrust and yeah. the downward pull of gravity are matched. <laughs> and it just kind of levitates there and moves sideways. It was really, really interesting to watch. All jokes aside, congrats to Astra for recovering from that yeah. and actually lifting off and making it toward space. There was a shutdown after,
2: was it Max Q, Chris? So it was about two and a half minutes into flight. So exactly how the rocket got through different different things is, is a little bit off because of what happened. So Chris mm-hmm. Kemp mentioned that they had lost an engine shortly after the vehicle was released from the launch pad. And that's what caused the initial tip. And I think almost everyone watching that live when it was happening did not expect it to recover from that. Because usually when you see a rocket start to tip over sideways after being released from the launch pad, it does not end well for the launch pad. Oh, yeah.
0: In fact, I immediately texted Robin, oh, no, Astra, as it was tipping. Because I was like, what's going on? (laughs) But then the the announcer didn't say anything. The launch continued. Yeah. Yeah. The incredible thing is that when it lost that engine, as I saw mentioned in, in a Scott Manley video, the thrust to weight ratio went to one. Yes. So you, So when you're mentioning it, ho- levitating, hovering, that was true. It was literally yeah. just hovering there. Equilibrium. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah it, it literally was producing the same amount of thrust that it weighed. So it yeah. just hovered. And and that sort of sideways thing, like, it, you know, that sort of sideways thing, ooh, we've never seen that before. It was an, It was an outright impressive recovery by the guidance navigation and control system of that rocket. And and just to the Astra engineers, kudos to yeah. whoever wrote that system, because for a moment,
0: For a moment, it was incredible. For a moment, I actually thought that I had been misinformed and that something intentional was happening. In fact, you know, I was saying, I, I texted, oh no, Astra. Then I texted Robin, is it supposed to look, is it supposed to do that? Because it was so stable in its craziness that I thought
1: like, well, I don't know, maybe they got sideways launches out there. I don't, you know. I got some strange messages that was along the lines of Jamie's message. And it was just like, some people were not sure what they saw. Yeah. Or not sure if they thought they saw what they saw. And I was like, when people messaged me, I was like, nope, that definitely wasn't supposed to happen.
2: (laughs) No, no. I mean, in fact, this was was a good visual too, of when we talk about range security, right? Because I think a lot of, questions in people's minds was how how did the flight termination system not get activated when it was that close to the ground? And when it was very clear that there was an issue very early on in flight, but this is, this was, you know, this is one of those things with how range safety works is the rocket actually stayed within its bounds. So at first there was no real reason to kill the engines which is what the flight termination system on the rocket vehicles from Asher is it's just shut the engines off and let it fall to the ground so no no explosives or anything like that so they were able to, to continue because they were still within the bounds of, of their operational limits. And then they were, Scott Manley sort of said this in a video after the fact. So credit to Scott Manley for, for this particular line of thought. But he was saying that, you know, that might actually have saved the launch pad and the infrastructure, which oh, is minimal yeah. to begin with. But it got it out downrange over the ocean before the engines were cut. Nothing um, will delay you. Flight.
1: I mean, yes, a rocket explosion or failure will will delay you of course but losing a launch pad that is a a really unfortunate thing that could happen to a startup because it will cost you I, how long did it take to rebuild
2: pad 40 chris was it like a year uh it was just over a uh, so this is a little weird so yeah the the pad 40 blow up of the Falcon 9 with the Amos-6 satellite happened in September. September 1st, I believe, actually. Mm. Oh, of, uh, yeah, I think oh, it's Oh no, actually it was today. it was
1: a week from it's a week from now. It's like September 9th oh, or something. Sep- yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: No, no, no. It, w- it was September 1st because it was early September because the Osiris-Rex mission was originally affected by it, but oh, ended up launching totally on time right. on uh. the 8th. Yeah. Oh, yeah, are um, right, right. we're, we're recording yeah. this on September 1st on September by the way. Yes, that's why yes. that's <laughs> significant. <laughs> <laughs> but They So they sort of did some initial cleanup on that pad, but then they focused all their efforts for several months on getting 39A up and running because it was nearly ready. And then they went back. So I think all told from when they went full bore on it, it was about 11 months they were able to rebuild pad 40, which is fast that is right. fast to rebuild a launch pad but you know so so all, all of this is like yeah it, it didn't go the way astro had hoped they they were definitely hoping to reach orbit on this one and demonstrate to the space force that they could get the demonstration payload where it needed to be but you know as far as failures go you know they were open they shared it they did not you know want to cut away from it as something Alphenomenal was happening. And I, I think that's really important for our industry as well. And and I think you see that a lot in the comments from the public, right, of being sympathetic to what they suffered, but also praising them for being open and sharing oh, the yeah. flight with everyone.
0: For people who aren't aware, it was actually uh, Chris's team at NASA Flight who facilitated the live stream for them right. and this was really their first time doing that in a serious way. So yeah, I got to give you know congratulations to your team for a well-produced stream and also congratulations to them for being that open. I also appreciated how their CEO had already planned for this. He clearly had a pre-recorded message anticipating that failure could happen and telling everybody that they're going to keep moving forward. So, you know, I like that they they have the right attitude about it.
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah. I'm really glad that Astra got serious about doing a live stream and partnered with NSF who has tons of experience doing that, especially recently with Starship. and other launcher news, startup Virgin Orbit, good friends of ours and folks that we've partnered with previously on a short film, they're going public. And um, a lot of these companies are seeing success in their development, so they're feeling confident and um, listing themselves on Wall Street. So Virgin Orbit just recently, Now, I don't understand this SPAC business, but the way they're doing it is attaching to a SPAC and listing themselves on the stock market. We will have Michael Sheets on the show one day, who was the prime business reporter in the space community, to talk about this stuff. So I hope you're listening, Michael. Oh, yes, I can, I can tell you that <laughs> yeah. I read
0: that they got a three point seven billion dollar valuation. It's amazing. In terms of the wow. actual mechanics of going public, uh, yeah, I, I defer to, yeah, yeah. to Mr. Sheets on that one.
2: Yeah, I think and, we all do on that one. But yeah, but, yeah. but but it's exciting to see yeah. companies do this, right? Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's a fun. different and, way of doing space business. Sure. And oh, we yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, and we just want to congratulate our our friends over at Virgin Orbit for that, and we do have. Something special dropping Virgin Orbit will be publishing and dropping it in a, a new short film that our team just completed. Jamie oversaw the completion of that film. I'm, we can't we can't say anything more than that. We can say that Virgin is dropping it within the next couple of weeks. So we're really excited. Yeah, I can, well, I can reveal,
0: I will reveal this detail about it. And just, you know, here's a big sneak peek. It's really cool and I like it.
1: Yeah, it's fun. I really, really, it's really fun video. Anyway, moving on. James Webb Space Telescope Uh, a few days ago. It's ready. (laughs) It's It's ready, right? NASA has completed testing, and they're ready to ship it to French Guiana. And we're heading into a launch campaign, which, yeah, we're all going to shit our pants.
0: Yeah. So now, just to be clear, we're now finally in the phase where the only thing left to do is put it on the rocket and light it, right? Like we know it can go to space, hopefully, and do what it needs to do, hopefully, and it's all packaged up. And now this is just
2: launch mode. So it comes down to like weather and all that kind of stuff, right? Yes, yes, that and one more Ariane Five launch, and I think that's the biggest one at this point. In terms of building confidence. Yeah. Well, uh, well, actually, in terms of clearing the manifest and the launch pad. Oh, gotcha. So the Ariane 5 is capable of launching about once every 60 days with the facilities that exist down there, which most of the time is, is absolutely not a problem, is a, a good flight rate for that particular vehicle. But what this did when they encountered a payload fairing separation issue last year, which delayed a lot of flights, there were two on the Ariane 5's launch manifest that had to, by contract, go before James Webb because of what they had on board so that first one went in august which means that the next one can go in mid-october which means that two months from mid-october is the mid-december range which is james webb so getting that Ariane 5 off the ground and not having any issues with it is i think the last real major technical hurdle before it can get off the ground hopefully nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah we're, we're really and, and, excited and it's 25 years in the making they, they yeah. started design and build of this in 1996, and it is finally ready. Amazing. Wow. Amazing.
0: Using my typical measure for uh, where we are in time, everyone, that is three years after Jurassic Park came out.
2: Right. Yeah. There we go. Yes. That's, yeah. that's a
1: good ma- Thank you.
2: Thank <laughs> yes. you for the, that. The year Jurassic Park came out is great for
0: perspective. <laughs> um, and you
2: know what, Jamie? That's a fantastic segue, because do you know how far back in time this telescope will be able to see? Oh, man. Tell me. All right. It will be able to see back about 200 to 400 million years after the Big Bang to almost the very, very beginnings of time first and light. the universe. First Holy light and, and when the very first galaxies and stars were starting to form. So is wildly how far back. This can wildly
0: see wildly before
2: dinosaurs. So
1: <laughs> wild before <laughs> yeah. dinosaurs. I yeah. mean, dinosaurs. In, that, <laughs> yeah. in that context, dinosaurs basically <laughs> exist at the same time as us.
2: Oh, totally, it, yeah, totally! basically, they would have dinosaurs would have made the movie about the Big Bang like we made the movie about that. Oh, right? yeah. Like, like, from, from the perspective of James Webb, they believe those pictures where people are riding on dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but this is a really cool telescope and it's going to do amazing things. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, and I want to encourage folks listening, our West Coast photographer, Pauline Acklin, uh, who also works for other places like NSF. I saw she was shooting for one of the ships out there on the at the port, right, Chris, this
2: week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pauline joined us uh, a couple months ago. Yeah, she's working, doing doing a lot of work for us. That's yeah. awesome.
1: So yeah, we sent Pauline to visit James Webb, and she wrote a really great first person for Supercluster. So please check that out. Also, we finally got our patch in the shop, our James Webb space telescope we're, we're calling it the reflection patch and just a little behind the scenes. It did take us uh, quite a while to wrap that design. When we started out designing the James Webb patch, we knew it, obviously this was something special and we had to get it right. We went through a few design phases and we realized something we're like these mirrors and the, the design, the honeycomb is perfect and we should not change it or alter it or do anything. Super iconic. Yeah, it's too iconic. And it's, we took it, we're like, listen, let's mess with the colors to make it look like it's reflecting light. And it took us a few back and forths with our patch vendor to get it right. And, uh, it was very complicated.
0: If you look at the design you can see it on our website or our social it's it's essentially as robin was saying it's the it's those gold coated mirrors but to try and render the idea of a mirror slightly tilted and reflecting beautifully in in embroidery thread was a fun but but challenging experience. Yeah, we had to order a few tests and kind of like figure out you know what the gradations are, but I honestly I give credit to the to the patch manufacturer that they can get this subtle with the color of their threads. Mm-hmm. Wow!
1: So yeah, we are getting excited for launch, and uh, we'll have some more updates on that coming soon. Shout out to our friend Thaddeus who works on the program. We always oh like yeah. Hopefully,
0: out. man. Hopefully, we get a new telescope for Christmas. That would be great. <laughs> that
2: would be really great. Yes.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Starship because that is always the number one asked question. From our readers and followers on social media, when hop, when launch, that came from the folks down in Boca Chica and Starbase. Um, the hashtag when hop. Um, it's but, like being on inside the brain of a frog. When so, hop, must eat yeah. fly? When must hop. eat fly high? <laughs> yeah. Um, so as we all know, there's been a stacking a fit
2: check. Where are they now, Chris? With this development. Yeah, there's been a lot. Um, Like like you said, early August, they got the fully stacked booster and ship together on the Orbital Launch site and Mm. on the Orbital Launch platform, which was huge in being able to do fit checks and actually see how the stages connected together and how the pad interfaces all worked very briefly. So right now, a lot of the work is getting the launch tower done. Um, Most recently, we've seen the fueling arm go up onto the tower. We've seen continued work on assembly of the catch and stacking arms, those little, Elon has referred to them as chopstick arms, the things Mm -hmm. that will extend from the tower to actually catch the booster and catch the ship Mm -hmm. as they come down. Because they're actually doing this.
1: They're really doing this. They're
2: actually doing this. Yes, this is not... This is not science fiction anymore. Um, yeah. Those arms are under construction and getting mounted to the tower, which is which is incredible they 're making progress on the booster and getting some of the booster some elements of the booster that weren 't actually finished for flight when they rolled it out a month ago, done and completed and ready for the first orbital flight attempt. The same is going on with the starship there 's been extensive thermal protection system work that 's been done on the ship itself so yeah i mean work work is work is really really continuing we've seen more propellant tanks go out to the launch pad to get it ready so yeah things are really moving at a breakneck pace but of course we don't actually have an answer to the question that everyone wants to is is asking with excitement and i get it i totally get it because i want to ask those questions too but the truth of the matter is you know elon is saying mid has said mid-september is the target but There's a lot of regular (laughs) later this year, probably because there's a lot of regulatory approval that needs to go into this. Right. And Mm -hmm. the FAA has not signed off on this. There's still an outstanding environmental impact assessment from the orbital launch site, which has not yet been put out for its 30 day review process by the public. So we're obviously not going to hit September 15th.
0: Yeah. And, um, and look, as much as, yeah. you know, Elon Musk has made many bold claims in his career and, you know, we could go either way on what we say about that. But I will say um, he wears rose colored glasses when it comes to schedules. So I think we're all <laughs> safe in assuming
2: there'll be yeah. a little bit extra time in there. Yeah, there, there is a there's a reason why those of us in the industry refer to it as Elon time. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, man, I, I it's like will say on the flip valve side time for my video game. Fans. <laughs> it is right. But, you know, I'll say this, you know, like, I'd much rather have an aspirational schedule of yeah, we're going to do this in two months than yeah, eventually we'll get there. And twenty years later, you don't have anything to show for it. Oh yeah, because compare know? the way it feels in your
0: gut hearing these stories to what's happening with the program to go back to the moon. It just seems yeah. like it just drags on, and there's no ambition. I, I, that's harsh, but you get what I'm saying.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We should do a quick update on the human landing systems contract. I yeah. this this situation has just. It's just getting worse and worse. So uh, Blue Blue Origin is suing. The government, I guess. The government, NASA. I'm trying to like categorize who they're suing. They're suing the federal government at the direction of, uh, you know, in the direction of NASA to get this contract. They're they're really fighting tooth and nail. And one major thing that's happened as a a consequence to this lawsuit is that there is a stay on work, which means that, again, and there's no movement. On getting humans back to the moon with NASA or, or anyone. Uh-huh. This is the opposite of, like, national teaming or whatever it is yeah. that they are doing
0: over there. It really strikes me when you put it that way, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, you know, I had yeah. thought, I, I had obviously been drawn to the the kind of Jeff Bezos story and thinking about, like, his personality as what this really means and everything. But when you compare it to the... the mythical space race uh, Uh, that uh. really highlights it because when you think about like okay let's say it's 1960 whatever and we want to beat the russians i could imagine then a billionaire magnate instead of suing the government it'd be congratulating spacex and saying how can i help because it's the goal to get to the moon not who does it and so in my heart when i think about i want us to go back to the moon that's where i find the deepest conflict with this lawsuit because it's just making it harder to get to the moon not easier
1: and on top of that up top of the lawsuit, the paperwork that Blue Origin filed was way beyond what these federal courts are used to. Like, it's beyond the limit, I think. And yep. it delayed them.
2: And the stay, I think another week or something. Yeah. Something like that, because yeah. there was just so much like, like yeah. basically the tactic became overwhelm them with Bury them in litigation. Deli- that's yeah, a to delay it move. even more. Yeah. And exactly. It's just so
0: against, like I'm saying, it's so against the spirit of the endeavor, the idea that we actually want to advance something. Like I get that we have to do business and all that, and ultimately a lot of the future of space exploration will be built on capitalism, and that's fine. But even from just like pick pick someone off the street who doesn't know anything about it. And you say mm. you got one company that has made many, many orbital launches to the point where I've lost count. They've delivered humans to the space station. They have a whole business plan now built on their ability to go to orbit and they're developing new rockets that are, that are going pretty well. On the right. other hand, you've got a team that like does hover rockets and they're saying that they they are supposed to be favored over that other proven company that has essentially taken over a large part of nasa's entire launch schedule come on like it's Mm -hmm. it's not
2: yeah yeah and, and I think the other thing to to that that's useful to to bring up and sort of remind of like where are we on this journey with Blue Origin right they've existed for close to 20 years and they longer do Longer than have SpaceX. A, longer than SpaceX, they do that's have a, a very comparison. successful suborbital business with the New Shepard rocket which launches both people and science experiments. In fact, in the last month, we saw them do both, uh, a dedicated crew flight and a dedicated science flight, and to be totally fair and honest to Blue Origin, they have an amazing charity for STEM and STEAM yeah. operations that, that should be I will applauded for that. Yeah, yes. I will give
1: them credit for that. I will, credit will for always that.
0: shout out that, and yeah. i, I got to say that, yes. I, I so will For the Future that. is a
2: really great program, yes. and Super they do great. great work. Yes, and well, we let let need me add to this. get everybody but, in. But, yeah. but Go ahead. Chris, on the orbital side, it has been 20 years of hearing that this rocket is right around the corner and it's, and it's nowhere to be seen. They have routinely proposed it for other things in the federal government. Let's be very clear. NASA's not the only one to reject them. The U.S. Space Force rejected them in 2020 for phase two of the National Security Space Launch Contract Awards, which and basically they didn't have a rocket. There was no way to launch those. And those things start launching next year and there's no rocket for them from Blue Origin for that. So of course they went with SpaceX and ULA, one of which has a rocket, the other one, ULA is kind of in a bit of a pickle with that and having to switch some of those awarded missions from the new Vulcan rocket, which will use a Blue Origin engine. That hasn't been and delivered those yet. engines do not exist yet in terms of oh, flight op- in brutal. terms of operational oh, flight readiness. <laughs> yeah. It's like asking so, someone to
0: vote on your hopes in order to make their actual real world business happen. And it's,
2: that's, exactly, it's exactly yeah. that because when they lost the national Security Space Launch Phase 2 Award last year in 2020. That was followed about a month later by them saying, okay, well, New Glenn's not going to be ready for two years. And they tried to play it off as, oh, well, that's because we didn't get X number of billion dollars for the NSSL contract. But X number of billion dollars for an NSSL contract does not advance rocket development by two and a half years. It it does not. It especially not. not
0: from a company that basically has a blank check let's be honest you, well, you're you in a I, position that, that. where if you need a couple billion dollars you can get it you just wrote a letter to the government saying you would just give a couple billion dollars if they give you the contract so stop right. it with the funding complaint yeah. I agree.
2: exactly and i mean look at look at starship too i mean i mean look at this i mean you've got jeff Bezos and elon musk two of the three richest men in oh the yeah world. it's like who has more money right. than you no one no one <laughs> but, but 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 let's look at a very critical difference here right and i and i'm not saying that you know nasa and the federal government did not save spacex elon has been very upfront with that in terms of the cots and commercial orbital cargo demonstration missions oh yes right and lot, things lot, like spacex that. But, is largely government funded but right mm. but prior to that elon kind of went bankrupt with spacex and the falcon one mm-hmm. before they got that contract right there's oh, a it all came down there's to there's that one, one launch. Failure. Yeah. One yeah. Failure. They have yeah. one there's chance and it worked in, and yeah. There's a huge mentality difference between these two. Whereas, uh, you know, where SpaceX and Starship was an internal investment and when the lunar program came around and there were other things it could be used for, they said, "Sure, here's what it would cost for us to develop that variant of it." And at 2.9 billion dollars, that's quite a steal. Jeff Bezos has tens of billions of dollars. Just spend seven billion and build the lander. Just
1: do it yourself. Why and do you, you need you to do it? NASA? Because yeah, that's the, the thing, thing. At the end the of the day,
2: is they can do it. They can do it. They can do it. But they've never proven to us that they can. So prove to us that you can. Oh yeah, that's the And the That's the
0: thing. I, I totally agree with that. And in a way, that actually scales to like any career when you think about it. Is that people hire you when you show you can do it, not when you say you can do it. You know, and like right. in a way that's what he's claiming. And if you can build a lunar lander and you can build all that kind of stuff, I guarantee you that if you build it, they will
1: come. Right, oh right. my
0: God. You know, it's not like anybody else is down the mall selling it's, a part lunar of me. Thinks
1: that a lot of this, like we're saying, Jeff Bezos does not need NASA to go forward and do this. He needs the this ego stroke. He needs to be yeah. the guy leading NASA when J- Elon Musk has been doing it already for a decade. You know what I mean? And it's, mm-hmm. he's, I just don't see. That's an interesting I, I, point. It seems you know, like from
0: an ego perspective, you know. If and of course I don't, I haven't met either of these dudes, but it seems like Bezos wants the stamp of approval from NASA, and SpaceX and Musk are just saying we just want to do it, and if NASA's with us, awesome.
1: You, look, I've right, I've <laughs> met Elon, and I've had a stare down with Jeff uh, at a conference. <laughs> One person is completely insane and unrelenting in wanting to accomplish. This goal, this crazy ass goal of landing a human on Mars. Well, the other person is the king of the world with no nothing to like drive him. And like his childhood dream has been to be this NASA leader specifically, to be the person that helps NASA explore the universe and build colonies in space. And he can't shake this like infantile idea. And part of me thinks it's like, Even Jeff Bezos is searching for a leader, not just Blue Origin, you know, and on that note, Blue Origin, since all this has been happening and this lawsuit and the losing of the contract, they are having a brain drain. Which has been reported in CNBC and others, and we've been hearing about it here too. Oh, all so the small people committed. who have been leaving. More exec-
0: dozen, yeah,
1: more than a dozen. more than a dozen top talents and top executives. Talent. Yeah. People who are working on New Glenn, New shepherd, BE four. People who are on the the, the head of the Human Landing System program left and went to uh, Firefly. It's like what what is exactly going on there and. I think more questions are going to be raised over the next few weeks. We're going to see this lawsuit play out in early November. And that's, you know, I, I can't, there's no other way to, there's no way to sure this. Blue Origin has become a place that has had so much internal problems. Those problems are now the public's problems, America's problems, because we are being anchored by that. Yeah. And we're being asked to give money to it. Right. And we're being for we're being held hostage, basically. It's like, listen, either you let us take you to the moon or we don't let you or go to the moon. To go. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it
0: does what I will say from something of an optimistic perspective is that it doesn't seem like it's gonna go that well uh for Blue Origin. Like they don't have too much of a standing, and the people in a decision-making uh position are not really looking at them favorably. So while right. it may be a delay. It does feel to me like we're going to end up back where we were. It's the con- you know. It's not like Congress is suddenly going to give them untold new billions to have multiple lunar landers, right. if we remember that the decision to only go with one was monetary. And so they're just going to end up where they were, and this will be a delay. So I'm hoping that's all it is.
2: Yeah, because Congress, because there was that initial lobbying that Blue Origin did after they lost the contract and protested with the Government Accountability Office or the GAO. Mm-hmm. And then... By the way, the GAO's some-
1: response was on the level of mocking them
2: <laughs> yeah it was pretty it was like that when you yeah, read those letters it, from lawyers it, that are really snarky right but but it was something in the GAO report that actually led to the current lawsuit because the GAO report did find that there was a case where SpaceX was not asked to do some of the same things as the other companies were they were granted waivers for certain things but do we know what those things were though chris um not off the top of my head no and and they didn't really specify however what the gao report did specify is that none of those were like contract affecting things so if you if you read what that is right there may have been certain things that Blue Origin, Northrop Grumman, Draper, Dynetics—all of them on the other side would have to prove, in terms of life support and control. Well, yeah, one where company SpaceX wouldn't, because NASA already has that data for what and, SpaceX's and Chris, systems are. This yeah. is such an dragon. obvious
1: thing, like. One company flies humans for NASA already. One company goes to the space station and back safely already. These other companies do not. Of course, one of them are going to get waivers for certain things. You yeah. know, it's just like, come exactly. on. Exactly, right. because I imagine but, that
0: it's, it's not only about the segmentation of what part of the mission that they were going to be responsible for. But like Robin's saying, maybe it's just stuff they've I mean, already done. So they're not yeah. going to require them to spend the money to show it again
2: right exactly so it could be something like that which if it's that i don't know where this lawsuit's leg is to stand on yeah because that seems to be where the lawsuit originated was that there was a major procedural violation and they're pointing to the gao report as confirmation of that however if it turns out to be something like life support that nasa already had all the data on mm-hmm. I, I don't I, I don't know where that goes in court if it turns out to be something else Maybe Blue Origin has a has a small point here. However, they've sealed it all and they don't want us to look at what the actual things are. So it's impossible to actually sit here and tell you what it is because Blue Origin by court order doesn't want us to know which yeah, and that, tells you that's everything a key thing. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. that really goes. I mean, uh, on a deep level, it goes against
0: the whole endeavor. This whole idea that like, this is a scientific endeavor for the people. Anything that NASA does is going to be re- published in triplicate with every single diagram. And so when you start to say like, Oh no, 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 I have a magical spaceship, but you're not allowed to know what it is. Right. I'm like, well, okay. okay
1: well, I'll <laughs> the last word on this and the last piece of information that I'm hearing on this lawsuit, is that Jeff Bezos is bringing in his team from Amazon's Jedi lawsuit. I don't know if uh, our our followers are caught up on that, but these Jedi cloud infrastructure that was touted by Amazon was up for a Defense Department contract. It lost out to Microsoft. And and now that Amazon is obviously suing and trying to get that contract. So that same team is going to be brought on to sue the American people for a moon landing contract, Chris, did I get that right? Because I know you've probably heard about this story. Um, um, a bit. A,
2: a, yeah, I mean the, the the story itself kind of burped just before we began recording. Oh, okay, um, okay yeah i know eric berger just published his piece oh, on it okay, um okay, okay. in depth i have not had a chance to read it yet Me yeah, neither. i think it was literally like right before we started recording oh, this wow, is okay, when it yeah, is when it came out i started out. hearing oh, yeah. about it yesterday so yeah i'm glad someone reported yeah it was it. one it's one of those badly kept secrets yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but, but yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a couple there's two more just just quick points I want to make on this. The first being that there is also we must recognize a PR battle being fought here. So aside mm-hmm. from the le- end legal effect of this lawsuit, it does have the PR effect of putting out there in the public that there is some dispute about who should be landing on the moon. And you saw that also uh Blue Origin and Bezos his team put out that graphic the other week about more than one more than one one criticizing starship really trying to um say that it was a bad plan you know and without going into the debate on the science of whether that's true they're clearly trying to tell the public and the government at once that this is not the be-all end-all so that that's something about this that there may be reasons to lose a lawsuit even if you know you're going to lose it because it puts the story out there but the other thing i want to say is as much as all this criticism is out there i genuinely hope that he's right. Like that would, in my mind, be the best outcome is suddenly we had two options that were really yeah. good. Because, yeah, I'm always right, for that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe oh. the national team and Blue Origin has something we don't know, and they actually do have a good plan. And then maybe that could even convince Congress to give more money, because I can tell you if NASA was was in charge, truly. They would probably yeah. have more than one vendor. They wouldn't oh, just go with one. They were forced
2: into that. So I'm right. ho- I am i
0: don't think that'll happen, but I am hopeful that maybe Blue Origin has something to stand on.
2: I would really hope for that, too. The secrecy surrounding what they're arguing, though, gives me pause, Like like we said a bit earlier. The other thing that gives me pause on do they actually have something here? Right. And don't get me wrong. I want to like, like everyone wants to. Yeah. But the other thing that gives me pause on, do they really have something like you were just saying, Jamie is NASA tried to negotiate with them after the GAO report and before they filed the lawsuit and they opted to file the lawsuit.
1: Yeah. Cause yeah. NASA found
2: nothing. I, I have, <laughs> I, I mean, I get exactly what you're saying, yeah. but I, this is, uh, yeah, no. And look, Jamie, <laughs> yeah. I
1: am totally on board with staying positive but at I'm this not, point, I'm more pessimistic <laughs> than posi-
2: positive.
0: I, look, I wouldn't bet on it. I'm just saying <laughs> I, want, I want to be wrong, yeah. but I wouldn't bet
1: on it. Okay, right? so speaking <laughs> of uh, places where we have two vendors, the NASA's commercial crew program, we, we kind of have to go through this quickly because, uh, as usual, we spend too much time on Blue Origin. But Starliner is back on the factory floor, uh, so to say, and yeah. um, is going through checks. They're trying to fix those valves. Oh, the valves! No surprise to anybody. This mission is in jeopardy once again. Um, any, I'll give you guys one minute each to respond, and then we got to move on to inspiration.
2: For I actually the opposite. I, I am kind of surprised. Okay. On on this one, th- th- this is one of those moments when like the valves, and if it's what they're thinking right now, is it, something that a lot of other spacecraft have designed very similarly and Mm -hmm. this might have just been one of those very weird coincidences of extreme weather in the area that just caused a bit more water intrusion than had been ever seen before Mm -hmm. in history so i I actually do feel bad for them and and I, i think this is one of those hey we found something new that no one else had ever found before in the industry So I I feel a bit bad for them in that regard. That's something that a lot of others use bit them in this very public way. Okay, that's fair. Jamie yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that they
0: got a little bit overly harsh for something that, in a different storyline, could have been brushed away much more readily. Just you know, it just happens to be that it's kind of a plagued craft. but ultimately, I, I feel like there's two parts here. I'm optimistic that they're going to do good work. They've done good work in the past. These are proven teams. They aren't really starting out from scratch. but on the other hand, that's the problem. It feels like bloat. It feels like big company problems. It feels like too many people trying to spend too much money to not move fast enough without enough hunger. And then that starts building in complacency and assumptions and things that lead to a proven system not really being tested enough or, you know, and I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but it feels like big company bloat, this type of failure.
1: Okay. And since we're on the topic, Boeing is the primary contractor on SLS. And Chris, we are hearing of further delays.
2: Yeah. Eric Berger had a story earlier this week about, Potentially spring or summer that that is what Eric is reporting um i I think what i've what what I think what a lot of people are also personally hearing is that NASA hasn't given up on the end of the year yet, but that that is unlikely. What exactly is meant by spring? I don't know you know summer seemed summer was a bit of a shock, but spring had kind of also been a yeah, that's probably where it's going to end up like in that general spring-ish timeframe, just from natural slips and stuff. So, Well, I've been waiting on SLS since 2017,
1: so I can wait a (laughs) few more months, I guess.
2: Oh, wow. I've been waiting since the program began (laughs) almost exactly a decade ago today. Wow. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes. Okay, well, a few more <laughs> well months. I've been I've been waiting since I was born to see people go to the moon. As soon as I was born,
0: I was like, what the hell? We went to the moon all that long time ago,
1: and I don't get to see it? I hate this. Somebody go to the moon. Somebody please go to the moon without a yes. lawsuit. Please. All right. We are going to do another episode. We're running out of time here. We are going to do another episode next week surrounding inspiration for talking about all the ins and outs of the mission. I am heading down for the launch. Chris, you will be there. I will probably see you there. I I, we are hearing a lot of our space reporting friends are heading down and a quite a bit of, of the space community is heading down. We're hoping in the next two weeks, the last couple of weeks, Florida has been the COVID capital of the earth. It's been yeah. um, really I'm high. Hoping, um, I'm hoping um, co- that Delta peaks. I really don't yeah. know if it will, but yeah, this is the second time yeah. Florida has been a hot, like the main hot spot since the in pandemic the US, started. Yep. I, I am being, I know the situ- situation is very serious. Both my parents are vulnerable folks. They live in Orlando. And we all have friends and family there. We're always thinking of you guys. I actually flew down really quickly a couple weekends ago and, and went to Cape for just a, a quick second and came back. I w- I, there's ways to remain safe. Um, we're all going to have to do our part. Um, I think in a couple weeks, we might be on the, the downwards you know of the curb in Central Florida and the Cape area, which will be great for us to have our launch activities. We're not really sure what the situation at Kennedy will be. This is the first time a private crew is launching from Kennedy Space Center on mm-hmm. a, a private vehicle. And yeah. um, we don't know what the logistics are going to be like because of COVID. I'm sure they're going to wait till a couple of days before. And we will have some information on that. We know um, a lot of our community is going to be trying to watch the launch down at Cape Canaveral. We are doing some really amazing art to support the mission. At Supercluster, and we have decided to do our next edition of our launch poster to celebrate inspiration for. I can't wait for everyone to see it. It's going to be really, really cool. I will be down at Cape, like I said, and I will have some with me to give out to people who are onlookers for the launch. We don't have a launch time window yet. We will have a few days before the mission. Right now we're looking at September 15th for liftoff. Right now we don't have a specific launch time or launch window, like I said, but we will have that three to four days before the launch.
2: Chris, anything you want to add real quick about the mission before we move on? It's going to be incredibly exciting. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, the first private astronaut mission going up. Yeah, I think the one cool fact that I've got about uh, a couple of cool facts about this mission, Dr. Proctor will be the first woman of color to pilot a U.S. space mission. Extraordinary. Yeah. And Jarek Isaacman will become the first rookie space flyer to command a U.S. space mission since STS-2, the second flight of the space shuttle in November of 1981.
1: Good for him. He's he's (laughs) actually a really cool dude. Really, really great guy. And I'm I'm excited for him. He seems very sincere about what he's doing. And he seems like someone who really wants to use space to advance humanity. And I, I really admire him spending the money to get Dr. Proctor on there and get Haley and Chris on there too. As folks know, our contributor photographer, John Krause, who we're very proud of, is the mission's photographer. And um, we hope that John will one day also be going to space as a photographer because that would be really awesome because we're all friends with him and we'll, we'll have even more bragging. Yeah, I mean, that's... I
0: think that this is something that we really need to help everybody build up some excitement for. It's almost mm-hmm. weirdly flying slightly under the radar in terms of popular media, but this is a tremendous historical moment. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of going down there just to see it, whether or not I even create content for Supercluster while I'm there just because of of that momentousness. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe if I make it down there, we can all meet up and do like a an on-site podcast in the field, maybe get some, some vibe of, of what the energy is down there. But yeah, this is this is the moment. I know we've all been kind of waiting like, okay, we've got commercial space flight now. We've got space tourism has been around for a long time. But this to me is the moment when it's like, yeah, entire organizations on their own are sending people to space on their own. And those people are not career astronauts. They're just, you know, I, I almost can't articulate exactly what's unique about it, but it, it nails something in the progression of the dream of space accessibility that has never been done before.
1: Yeah, totally agree. It's a new step for SpaceX. We're really proud of them. And this is something that I don't know, a couple of years ago didn't just seem, you know, didn't really seem like it was around the corner, but it was. So we're all really excited. Well, and well, you look at just also missions you know, we're so
0: used to now for 20 years, because it's so amazing, of just going to the space station, that you go to space, you fly a little bit, and then you dock and land and you hang out in this rad space station. Mm -hmm. But Inspiration4 represents, and I know that, you know, China and some other nations have have done things like this, but it represents a return to a mission just in orbit. The idea of people in a capsule surviving for multiple days, gazing at the earth, and they don't have a destination other than orbit. And that's That brings us back to Mercury and Gemini and some really interesting stuff.
2: And actually, the last time from the U.S. perspective that a space mission launched and did not run a human space mission launched and did not rendezvous with the space station or another object in orbit was STS-107 in the Columbia in January and February of 2003. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. That's an age ago. Yeah, just I mean, that's like barely after the beginning of the space station is essentially just like as soon as we got the space station going, that Mm -hmm. became the destination.
2: Yeah, it was still very much under construction. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, um, we will be following up with uh, Inspiration4 in the next couple of weeks. I think we didn't cover we'll never be able to cover all space names, but those are. The major space stories. Yeah, we're not going to lie to you like those other news programs. Um, we, we got to most of it. Um, but I do want to mention two quick space and entertainment projects that are coming up. We've mentioned before Adam McKay, the director of the Big short, and I believe Anchorman and other, other amazing things, is making a film with Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio plays a professor and Jennifer Lawrence plays her student. And they are uh, astronomers who discover that an asteroid is heading toward Earth. And they go on a national media tour to convince America to be scared of the asteroid and to do something about it. And they're failing miserably. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I understand where this goes. Yeah, Yeah, it's a satire. (laughs) It's going to be in the tone of the big short. And Meryl Streep plays the president of the United States. And Jonah Hill plays her son who i, oh, who the, I believe the is the
0: cast list yeah, is nuts it, by yeah, the way it's right.
1: leo DiCaprio, jennifer
0: lawrence jonah hill tyler perry ron kate Harrowman, blanchett Timothy, mm-hmm. chalamet kate yeah. blanchett ariana grand meryl <sighs> streep it's crazy yeah it's meryl gonna Street, be now, a,
2: okay, meryl streep plays the president i'm yeah. here just for that part I'm of, here. of it. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. and jonah name. hill works for her it's gonna yeah. be great um <laughs>
1: yeah. weird super tangent she plays President Orlean. I don't know if any of you read the The Blood Orchid or uh The Ghost. Was it the Ghost Orchid? Um, but there's a movie called Adaptation where she plays a the New Yorker writer, Susan Orlean. Oh, so yeah, I wonder yeah. if there's a connection there. But we're excited for this movie. We're excited to Leonardo DiCaprio, and Jennifer Lawrence are amazing actors, and we can't oh, wait also to see them.
0: The, the the DP, the cinematographer, shot La, La Land. So oh, if you like, that's going like to be
1: cool! Kinetic
0: yeah. cinematography. He's yeah. there.
1: Ooh. yeah. You just triggered a twenty four, but that's okay. Hey, look, look, I, I, I got comments
0: about La, La Land, but the cinematography was good. <laughs> um, <laughs> was one, one more project, well.
1: yeah. One more project I want to mention is uh, Killers of the Cosmos, which is a very interesting take on learning about space exploration on the science channel. I think it premieres on September 19th. It is hosted by Aiden Gillen who played little fingers on game of Thrones and mayor Carcetti on the wire. And as we mentioned before the show, he got killed by Bane in the dark Knight rises. He's a fantastic actor. I love him. And I'm, I'm, Happy to see actors like him doing space and science communication in interesting ways. This is a noirish television show that talks about black holes, deadly gamma ray bursts, rogue asteroids, dark energy, and supernovas in a very spooky way. And I think it'll be perfect for spooky season coming up. Yeah, it's a lot
2: like all the ways the universe can kill you, right? Yes. yes <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of like
0: a cosmic-based X-Files where yeah. it's yes. it's a fictional show where he plays this detective who's trying to like figure out whether space is trying to murder us.
1: Right. So <laughs> look out for that if you have the science channel we will be back with you soon before the inspiration for flight. Our team is heading down there. Shout out to Eric Kuna, Jenny Hopman, Devin Perez down at Starship. Our photographers are always in the field. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter to see their photos and their coverage. And, uh, we will be back with you guys soon. And thank you, Chris. And thank you, Jamie, for helping me on this podcast. Rock and roll. Pleasure as always. Everybody fly to space. Not Starliner.